Today's episode is brought to you by Altoids because, let's face it, unraveling the mysteries of the universe is tough work. But with Altoids, your breath will be stronger than a black hole's gravitational pull, more intense than an alien abduction, and more reliable than your phone's battery during a podcast marathon. When it comes to needing intense freshness, Altoids have you covered. Altoids are stronger than your favorite conspiracy theory, more intense than the latest true crime docuseries, and more reliable than a Bigfoot sighting. They're not just mints, they're curiously strong mints. Find Altoids in the checkout aisle. Grab your tin today. Hey, everybody. If you want to tell the world something or sell the world something, head on over to Squarespace because they're going to help you build the website of your dreams. Say you want to sell some custom merch. Well, you can set up your online store, whether you sell physical, digital, or service products. Squarespace has the tools you need to start selling online. So go to squarespace.com slash stuff right now, and you will face a free trial. And when you get ready to launch, use our offer code STUFF, and then you'll save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. How could you go wrong with Squarespace? Welcome to Stuff You Should Know, a production of iHeartRadio. Hey, and welcome to the podcast. I'm Josh, and there's Chuck, and Jerry's here, too. And it's a good old-fashioned barn burner whiz-banger uh, of an episode. I ran out of weird colloquialisms. Oh, uh, yeah? Yeah, just now. Didn't you hear? Uh, yeah, but I just figured you were still doing them in your head. No, I was um, frantically grasping for another one in my head, and it was just <laughs> dust and a tumbleweed. <laughs> Uh, so this is sort of continuing our underwater uh, series, we'll call it. <laughs> yeah, this is so stuff you should know. We've done like stuff that's like much more um, specific about the general category that we're talking about. And now we're finally doing the general category. Yeah, we did. We did the diving bell. Mm-hmm. We did uh, the butterfly. We did. Uh, we did cave diving. In fact, cave diving was released as a, as a select just this year. Yes, yeah, such a good one. And uh, do I need to remind you about the other related episode? <laughs> I forgot about that. Oh, my I'll give gosh. you a hit. Meow. <laughs> I remember. <laughs> I remember the Scuba Cat episode. Didn't you interview Scuba Cat? Oh, yeah. I mean, for those of you who don't know, the, the short version is many, many years ago in the very early days of the podcast, uh, occasionally we were... Um, sort of told to do certain things with, as <laughs> Unspeakable episodes. Unspeakable things. <laughs> and two of them really stand out to me. One of them was Scuba Cat. Uh, I know what you're going to say for the other one. I know you do. Which was this guy who who trained his cat to scuba dive, and it's literally like a a blurb or maybe a, a little fluffy news piece at the end of a, of a news program. Mm-hmm. And they're like, do a, a Stuff You Should Know episode on this cat and this guy. <laughs> Why, though? Do you remember? Is, did they just I, want page views or something? I guess, or else that guy happened to be friends with, you know, whoever owned the company at the time. <laughs> All right. So there, I think there was an article on the website we worked for, and they were probably just trying to drive people to that. So we did one on Scuba Cat. I, I would really love that just to be scrubbed but from that, the archive. Well, way to go bringing it up, then. Um, what was I going to say, Chuck? Oh, wasn't this thing in, like, a little submarine Kind of is in that what the scuba diving was? I I don't think so. I think he built him a little little outfit. Oh, okay. Wow, a I little don't thing with that. like a you know a big bubble uh, mask. Okay, that's worth an episode. <laughs> in, <laughs> we in, should in, redo uh, it. We should in do 2008. a scuba cat redux. <laughs> uh, what's the other one? You want to? I know we're gonna say it. 
I we could say at the same time. Right, I think ready? it's going to be three, two, one. Tinnovators. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what can you do with an Altoids tin? Yeah, for real. Like I don't know how that one came up either, but we were instructed to do an episode on Tinnovators, and they were interesting, but not episodes length interesting. Not, not even when they were six minutes long. Yeah, and a tinnovator, just for those of you who don't know, they take Altoid tins and they do things with them, like turn them into radios. Um, maybe they hold coins instead of Altoids. It's just you know, repurposing. And, yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's repurposing an Altoid tin. Tinnovation. Very well. Oh, boy. And, and we always talk about jackhammers in the sun. Like, that's because we're literally too ashamed to even mention those other two. But here they are. Go yep. listen to them. Uh, just quickly wanted to say I got back from Mexico and I did not scuba dive. Uh, I snorkeled. Oh yeah, that's fun. And, uh, I didn't, I mean, I love the experience, but I, I learned that I, and especially my daughter are free divers. Oh yeah. Uh, she couldn't do it, man. We got her, I mean, she loves to swim more than anything. And we got her in all the gear, mm-hmm. put her in the water and she was pitched to fit, quite frankly. Oh, like she couldn't breathe through the tube? She does it at, at, in pools. Like, uh, it, it just, you know, when you're eight, things happen and you can't explain why a kid will dig in. Mm-hmm. But she wasn't into it. We were very frustrated, did not handle it well. She uh, <laughs> asked to get back on the boat. She got back on the boat and cried while we scuba, or sorry, snorkeled. Uh-huh. We we're like, we're out here. We're going to do it. You know, you're, you'll, you'll be okay. And then once we were done, she asked the scuba guys or the snorkel guys, can I just get in with my mask and free dive. And it was in Mexico. And they're like, sure. <laughs> right. And she did. And she turned into a dolphin. And I recounted this on Instagram. I took some great pictures of her okay. just swimming like no kid has ever loved swimming before. And it was just a big lesson for everybody. I know what happened, though. I th- I think, um, unless I'm misreading it, she she got claustrophobic from having to breathe through that tube. No, she does it all the time in pools. What it was, I think, was uh, wearing the life vest, keeping her up on the surface. Oh, okay. Well, you left that little detail out. Well, I mean, that's part of snorkeling is you got a you got a vest on so that it keeps you up top. And she was like, "No, no, no! I belong down there. My home is the sea," I as see. Bonnie Prince Billy says. I got gotcha. you. Okay. Well, that makes a lot more sense. I guess I was just projecting onto her because I used to get claustrophobic trying to breathe through a snorkel. Well, a lot of people on Instagram supported that and said, you know, I have a hard time with this equipment too, and I, I love to swim. But it was really that life vest, I think. Okay. All right. Well, we finally established the root cause then. Yeah. But here we go with scuba. Oh, okay. I guess. Okay. Um, so what does scuba stand for, Chuck? Self-contained underwater breathing uh, situation. Ap- ap- Appomatics. Appomatics. Apparatus. That's right. Scuba is actually like a, an acronym, but it's so used, so widely used now. It's a lowercase word. I'm not sure. Oh, what really? That, yeah. I mean, oh, okay. like it's not, nobody does it with capitals and periods or anything like that. It's just lower. It's a word. It's its own word now. It's almost lost its meaning mm-hmm. as far as like the acronym goes. And yet it's gained so much meaning over the years because as scuba has been around for over the decades, pe- more and more people have found the joy of going underwater. And I heard you laugh at me, by the way, um, and breathe. <laughs> If you yeah. breathe fully underwater, no snorkel, like your head is nowhere near the surface of the water. And it doesn't need to be 
like significantly distant from the water. It can yeah. just be like a foot below the water, but you're breathing underwater. It's an amazing feeling for sure. And a lot of people yeah. have discovered that over the years and said, scuba is the life for me. Well, as of uh, December 2019, you had scuba dived once. Yep. Have you done it since? No. And I'm actually a little troubled because I um, I read that you're supposed to go like three or four open water dives. And I only okay. went on one. So I've been under the impression that I've been certified to scuba dive all this time. And I'm like, I I. Is that true? I, I can't remember where my card is or anything. So I wonder if mm. I actually wasn't fully uh, certified. Hmm. Or satisfied. <laughs> I would find it very dissatisfying <laughs> if that were true. Well, do you want to do it again? Because I didn't get a good read on you in 2019. Maybe. I, I didn't know you then like I know you now. Maybe because <laughs> I, I, before the reason I didn't like it is because I got, it made me seasick. Like the, the, the air mixture did not sit well oh. with me. And then- Getting on the boat in between mm -hmm. dives made it even worse. Mm -hmm. So I was like, I don't feel like doing this ever again. But I think enough times passed that it's possible I would try it again. Well, I want to get certified now for sure. Uh, I did anyway before, and we thought we'd wet our beaks um, with snorkeling. Mm -hmm. the, the big problem I had, man, was the the fins. I mean, there were a lot of currents, and I just I felt like I couldn't go and get anywhere. Yeah. Uh, and then at the end, when Ruby was free diving, I did the same thing. I took off all my stuff except mm -hmm. for my mask. Mm -hmm. And I went down there and I was like, all right, well, this is, I feel like I can swim again. Yeah. It's all, it takes a lot of getting used to because it is, it's meant to help you. And it does mm -hmm. if you are familiar with it and comfortable with it. But if not, it's all encumbrance. It makes everything yeah. difficult. And like, yes, you just want to take it all off and just free dive like you're saying. Yeah, Emily was cruising around, but you know we saw a little, a little, my first like uh, coral that I've ever seen, like live coral, uh -huh. and it was beautiful. And you know the little stripy, uh, bright fish, and I, I was I was in there with those guys for the first time, and it was it was uh, remarkable and amazing. Was it a dory or a Nemo that you saw? Oh, I don't know. It had the I think yellow stripes. I don't think it was technically a clownfish, although. Maybe they're all types of clownfish. I'm not sure. What's a clownfish? I think like a dory or a Nemo. <laughs> <laughs> I saw this one big thing that was like the size of a dinner plate, another big flat guy. Oh, wow. Uh, he was cool. And then Emily saw a sea turtle, which I did not see. Oh, neat. Uh, and then we also saw their efforts to, you know, with artificial reefs, with like these PVC sort of uh, pyramids that they were building down there. Mm -hmm. God bless anyway. those people, right? Yeah, this coral wasn't in great shape. It was in parts, but other parts were not great, and that was sad. Yeah, you can thank the fossil fuel industry for that. That's right. So, Chuck, um, one thing that I had no idea about with um, researching the scuba episode is that it actually, the scuba phenomenon, I guess you could call it, dates back to the mid-19th century. Mm -hmm. And it's not like somebody had an idea and then 100 years later somebody actually created it. Someone in the 1860s actually created the first scuba um, equipment. That's right. Uh, are you going to say his name? You're going to make me do it. But I'll say the first name, Benoit. Okay. And it's a <laughs> Ruque Roll or Rock okay. and Roll. <laughs> Is that what that means? I don't think so, but it looks, okay. in, and when you pronounce it, it sounds a lot like Rock and Roll. Yeah. Rook and or Roll. <laughs> Ruque Roll. Yeah, rock and roll. 
Yeah. So he's he's obviously French. And he was not trying to figure out a way to recreationally dive in the ocean. He was trying to figure out a way to help others, rescue workers, rescue people in collapsed mines mm-hmm. uh, because these things would get filled up with nasty gases. Mm-hmm. And he was like, well, I think I can invent this system that allows these rescuers to go down there and breathe safely so they can save these people. Uh, and he called that first one uh, a regulator for equalization of compressed gas. A little on the nose. A regulator. Sure. Sure. So I guess it was a little verbose. Yeah, or a demand regulator. Yeah, and the the reason it was a demand regulator, and this is the this is the big deal. Like you mm-hmm. could feed somebody air continuously, but you're going to use up a lot of air. You might overinflate their lungs accidentally, which is a, it's a, it can be a problem with um, novices in scuba. Um, but a demand regulator means that you're only sucking in that compressed air when you're breathing in. When you exhale, that air is no longer coming into your into your mouth, into your gullet. Yeah, it's on demand, like uh, the best movies. And this guy, um, along with uh, a guy named Auguste Denerus, Den Denerus, Denerus. It was in there. That last one, I think, nailed it. But, I think so. Uh, Benoit and Auguste, let's call them that. They got together and figure out how to turn this not just into a, a mine safety um, equipment piece of equipment, but actually to use it to breathe underwater. So they put the whole like compressed air thing in like a backpack. I get the impression it was um, like a fabric bag holding the compressed air. They put that demand regulator on, and they were working underwater, untethered from any boat using the first genuine scuba in the 1860s. Yeah, it was it was like the first legit diving suit, essentially. Uh, they had lead-soled shoes, and they had weights hanging under your arms. Uh, at first, there was still no mask. They used a nose clip. But then a year later, in 1866, uh, they brought about the first mask, which was a, a copper helmet with a single window that mm-hmm. they called the groin. Uh, because it, it was uh, French for pig snout, and it kind of looks like a pig snout. Oh, okay. Uh, and they won, for this for their efforts, they won the, the gold medal at the 1867 World's Fair. Nice. It's called the Aero 4. Yeah, they called it the Aero 4, right? So, um, the but again, the thing about this is, like, you're like, yeah, I've seen those before. Like, there was a, a haunted one on Scooby-Doo. There's an air hose <laughs> coming out of the helmet. No, that's the distinction. There's no air hose. They were untethered to anything. They could roam as free as they wanted on the seafloor. That's right. So um, fast forward a few years. Geez, about 70. Yeah, about 70 years. There was another person who had a very similar idea. Uh, what was his name? Christian Lamberton? Uh, yeah. Well, there was a guy in the 20s, uh, Yves Lapreur. Okay who, uh, and Dave helped us out with this, Dave dug this guy up, and it was sort of one of the first sort of modern takes on a scuba system, Um, but the air still wasn't on demand at that point. They adjusted the airflow, Mm -hmm. like, as they went along. Mm -hmm. And then um, Christian Lambertson came along in 1954 and did a couple of things. Well, actually, he came along in 1939 with the Lambertson Amphibious Respirator Unit, or the LaRue, uh, didn't rename it Scuba until 1954. Okay, but he was a uh, this was a rebreather. It wasn't. It still wasn't the same thing. He had a CO2 filter, mm-hmm. and he was trying to pitch it to the military. He's like, he was an American guy. He's like, look, this thing's got no bubbles. So uh, he pitched it to the Navy. 
like, you know, you can sneak up on people, in other words. Sure. And he pitched it to the Navy. They rejected it. And then the OSS, uh, which the U.S. had at the time, the Office of Strategic Services would eventually become, uh, not become the CIA, but sort of become the CIA. Yeah, morph. Yeah. And they, the OSS loved it. And like their underwater unit like started using this Lambertson scuba unit, even though it still wasn't a, it was a rebreather. And we'll, we'll talk about all that stuff soon. Yeah, which is more advanced than scuba. So this guy basically just created the more advanced version of scuba out of the oh, gate. Yeah. You know, yeah, interesting. Yeah, it is very interesting, and his his um, invention was so successful that it was used from the fifties to the eighties by the U.S. military. Whew, yeah, not bad. Un, unchanged, kind of like you know you see like those m- mid to late eighties movies, and the cars are still f- look like they're from the seventies because nobody mm-hmm. updated their stuff until that <laughs> Ford Taurus came out in nineteen eighty eight and RoboCop. It's like oh, that. Man. What a great movie. You know, in the 80s, uh-huh. they were like, this is this is an old-timey rebreather. We need to update this. Yeah, exactly. So um, there was a, a – that's almost like a separate track. Like Christian Lambertson was um, very much dedicated to inventing this stuff for the military. He invented a more advanced version of scuba called a rebreather, which we'll talk about, like you said. The much more familiar version of the scuba story uh, kind of went in parallel and started a few, oh, about the same time as Christian Lambertson. And uh, it was a pair of uh, French guys who, up to Christian Lambertson, they were running the scuba world. Mm-hmm. And it was uh, Jacques Cousteau and Emile Gagnon. And those two together are the ones who gave the world scuba. That's right. Uh, I, I saw Gagnon, then also saw he was French, and it was Gagnon. Yeah, I know. It's just I didn't I didn't want to attempt it. I'm so tired of failing. <laughs> oh no! Uh, so they got together, like you said, and they kind of took uh, Roquayrol. <laughs> yeah, yeah. They took his old uh, on-demand regulator and said, "All right, I think we can update this thing." Um, Gagnon uh, in World War II had invented a regulator that uh, used cooking gas. To feed into the carburetor of a car because mm-hmm. the Germans uh, said, we're taking all your gas, Paris. Mm-hmm. And so he sort of retrofitted a, uh, a way to make a car work. And uh, Cousteau was like, this is brilliant. We can use this for scuba. And he's like, you want to huff cooking gas underwater? He's like, no, no, no. We're, gonna, <laughs> we're not going to use the cooking gas, Gagnon. Yeah. And also scuba hasn't been so named Yet. It was still probably about 10 years before that. So they called it the, uh, to Jethro Tull's delight, the Aqualung. I had an idea, um, and I don't know, maybe I can convince you right here and we'll go back and edit this part out. Of any time we said Aqualung, just playing Uh that one little riff. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. I think that we could get away with it. After hearing the intellectual property episode, I think we could get away with just that little bit. Well, at the very least, you could play my uh, mouth version because that's free and clear. All right. We'll look into it in the edit. Uh, it's funny. Our old pal, uh, friend of the show, Paula Tompkins, mm-hmm. every time the word Aqualung comes up, he gets upset. Well, not upset, but makes a point of why did Jethro Tull put that one line in there? Snot is running down his notes. <laughs> that line really bugs him. Does it? Yeah, it's pretty funny. I've not heard that one. Yeah. Anytime I think of Paul F. Tompkins, I think of kick, 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 boss. 
It's good stuff. Yeah. So uh, they didn't call it uh, scuba yet. Cousteau didn't. They call it the Aqualung. Like you said. <laughs> right. Um, and But it was the same thing. It was what you, if you go and take up the sport of scuba now, it's essentially the, 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 what you're doing, like what Cousteau was using. And the reason it caught on is because he made a movie called The Silent World that was released in, what, 56, 1956? Yeah. And it won an Oscar. It was an amazing documentary. And I was watching it. I'm like, wow, there's some amazing wreck diving scenes in there. But it's also hilarious. One guy, like, pulls the door off of the hinges of a shipwreck to get into the shipwreck. They're just totally, like, vandalizing the ship. Yeah. But I was also at the same time thinking, like, I'll bet audiences have never seen something like this. That's it. That was the ticket with Silent World is that was there had not been a lot of underwater photography mm -hmm. and it blew minds in 1956. Uh, not only did it win the Oscar, it was the first uh, Golden Palm winner at Cannes for oh, a wow. documentary yeah. uh, and stayed that way until Michael Moore won for Fahrenheit 9-11. Oh, wow. And it grossed in today dollars uh, 33 million bucks. Oh, not bad. It's a documentary. That's a theatrical doc. That's really, really good money. For sure. Uh, and also, just to finish up on Gagnon. Sure. Uh, he was not happy with that first version. So in 58, he finally released uh, what was called the Aquamaster Regulator and sold a million of those up until like 1972. That was like the go-to regulator. Mm -hmm. Gotcha. So, yeah, these guys essentially created the recreational version of scuba introduced it to the world through the silent world and um, sat back and took kudos from that point on. And if you watch the silent world, it bears a strong resemblance to um, the life aquatic with Steve Zizou. Mm, no mistake. Uh, and one other thing about Jacques Cousteau, I didn't realize he worked for the French resistance, as a matter of fact, during World War II. Well, Dave, we're going to have to do one on him because uh, Dave sent us this material. It was like, please, please, please let me do one on Jacques mm -hmm. Cousteau. <laughs> And we went, no. Speaking of Dave also, Chuck, um, you know, he has his uh, podcast, Bible Time Machine. Yeah, it's about uh, Bible stuff, but you don't have to, like, you know, it's from, like, a historical perspective. It's highly accessible. Yeah, that's what I was trying to say. I know. Um, but he had a blockbuster guest on mm -hmm. the other day. Uh, actually, I think it came out a couple of weeks ago. He had John Cleese, and he interviewed him about the life of Brian. John Cleese. How did that happen? I could I couldn't get a John Cleese on Movie Crush. I I don't know how it, they must have their um, ministers or friends or something. Yeah, that was great. So uh, big congrats to Dave on the John Cleese app. Exactly. And if you like John Cleese and you like Dave, go listen to him talking to one another. Yeah. Shall we take a break? I th I think it's high time we finally made it through the first section. All right, we'll be right back. Today's episode is brought to you by Altoids because, let's face it, unraveling the mysteries of the universe is tough work. But with Altoids, your breath will be stronger than a black hole's gravitational pull, more intense than an alien abduction, and more reliable than your phone's battery during a podcast marathon. When it comes to needing intense freshness, Altoids have you covered. Altoids are stronger than your favorite conspiracy theory, more intense than the latest true crime docuseries, and more reliable than a Bigfoot sighting. They're not just mints, they're curiously strong mints. Find Altoids in the checkout aisle. Grab your tin today. 
All right, game off. Let's pause here to talk more about Monopoly Go. Because in Monopoly Go, you can team up with your friends for timed tournaments where you work together to build up each other's boards. It's very nice. That's right. And the more you win together, the more awesome prizes you unlock. And there's so much to get. I'm talking about unique stickers that you can trade with friends to complete albums for big prizes, cool new playing pieces to travel the boards with, or hilarious emojis for taunting friends when you smash their buildings or heist their vaults. Plus, Monopoly Go feels new and exciting every day with constantly changing tournaments and challenges, like digging for treasure or a robot pachinko machine. And there's always new timed events that help you win big, like massive multipliers for everything you win or rent frenzies. That's right. There's always something fun to discover in Monopoly Go. So get off the bench and go download it now for free on Google Play or the App Store. Game on! Hey everybody, it's time you heard about Squarespace. Squarespace has the tools you need to create and sell your own website. Whether it's an online course or custom merch, Squarespace has you covered. That's right. Courses is a great program. You can start with a professional layout that fits your brand, upload video lessons to teach techniques and skills, and tailor your course with a powerful Fluid Engine editor. That's right. With Fluid Engine, which is a next-generation website design system, by the way, it's never been easier for anyone to unlock unbreakable creativity. That's right. And don't forget the commerce side, because after that, you can charge a one-time fee, or you can even sell a subscription. Yeah. So turn your creativity into income with Squarespace courses. And right now, go to squarespace.com stuff for a free trial. And when you're ready to launch, use offer code STUFF to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. Squarespace. All right, so we're back, and we're going to talk a little bit about the different types of scuba diving that you can do. Okay. Uh, there's the aforementioned open water diving that you talked about that is, you know, it's the most common one. It's what you think about when you think about going on vacation, somebody taking you out in a boat, throwing that gear on you, and saying, have a lot of fun, everybody. But it can also, it doesn't have to take place on vacation or even in a tropical locale or even in, like, a sea or an ocean. It can take place in a lake. Sure. It can take place in a quarry. As long Come as, the, I think, the, I'm not kidding. As <laughs> long as there's no, what they call ceiling over you, there's nothing between you and the surface of the water that's considered open water diving. And that's the far and away the most common recreational diving. That's right. And you can go down, uh, if you're certified, and we'll get to the certification, you can go down uh, to 100 feet with your advanced open water certification. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. Well, with your with the main one, the first one that you get, just the regular open water diving certification, it's sixty feet. Oh, okay. I wasn't sure if that was uh, official. You got to go back for the extra forty feet. You want an extra forty? It's going to cost you. So, um, there's also night diving is another one. Fun. Same thing, but um, at night. And there's apparently a whole different world out there in the ocean at night, which is pretty cool. Yeah, I love swimming at night in the ocean, but I can't do it. I just, yeah. I, it's, I'm just, I'm scared of dark water. I get it, dude. Uh, e- even uh, an ocean swimming person like myself was out in this water last week at night mm-hmm. and fine, having fun. But at a certain point, I was like, huh. <laughs> and then it's like, 
I'll just casually swim back in. Yeah. So I would have started <laughs> out with that, huh? Right. That yeah. It took me a little while. Yeah. But it does sound pretty cool. Like if you're not afraid of dark water, then of course, just that would be a, a great time to scuba dive. It, it's a little more dangerous though than regular open water diving because you can get lost very easily. So most of the time you're tethered to the boat so you can find your way back. That's right. What about drift diving? This sounds like you did the reverse of this snorkeling. Yeah, drift diving is, uh, you know, oceans have those strong currents, um, or certainly if you're in a river. And I think the point of drift diving is to is to get dropped into one of these currents mm-hmm. and off off you go. Like those sea turtles in Finding Nemo. Yeah, were they sea turtles? <laughs> yeah, they were riding like the underwater current. It was like a oh, highway okay. that you could get on and just zip off. I haven't seen that in a while. Uh, I haven't either, but apparently it made a really strong impression on me. <laughs> it sounds like it. So it's cool because you don't have to expend as much energy, which is like, well, who cares? Actually, mm. scuba diving requires a lot of energy. It's really it hard work. Um, so, so to save yourself any effort or energy is pretty great. And then also, because you're working hard, you're breathing harder. So you're actually uh, using more oxygen without a current than you are with a current which means mm-hmm. you can conceivably stay down longer because you have more air. Yeah, that sounds great. Sure it does. That's why people love it. Uh, you got technical diving, which is an umbrella term for uh, most kinds of advanced diving uh, that we're going to continue to talk about here. Uh, and maybe we should just talk about those because most of these next few fall under technical diving. Uh, the first of which is wreck diving. Mm-hmm. Y- you can go out and and swim around a legit sunken battleship or ship, uh, either one that was naturally sunk or, well, nothing naturally sinks, I guess, like that, or so not supposed to at least. Uh, but, you know, like one that was sunk in battle or one, you know, now they go out there and don't use PVC like I saw. Right. I saw these little PVC pyramids. Mm-hmm. They will sink a, a full ship and say, all right, do your work, Coral. Yeah, exactly. And some they do it to form coral reefs, but at the same time, also, it's just something interesting for divers to come look at, too. Yeah, but I don't think you're, I think you got to be pretty advanced, actually, if you want to swim through, like, the, the kitchen or something like that. Yes. Generally, you're just sort of swimming around it. Right. You can do just regular, basic open water certification diving around it, like you said, on top of it. When you want to go in it, you better add several years to your diving experience. Yeah. Um, it's, it's extraordinarily dangerous because you, there's all in a shipwreck, there's all sorts of things you get caught on, you get stuck on, you can get lost if the ship's big enough and dark enough. No, thank you. Exactly. Um, and like all of the other technical diving, uh, it has a ceiling. There's something between you and the surface that would impede you from going up to the surface if you needed to. That's when really makes it so dangerous. Yeah. I mean, that sounds interesting and fun, but I'm, I'm, I'm going to stick to no ceiling. I like watching videos of it. It makes my toes curl. Uh-huh. <laughs> but it, because, you know, it used to be above the surface. But um, I, 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 wouldn't, I don't think I would want to wreck dive either, but I like watching wreck diving videos. Yeah. Uh, you got your deep diving, mm-hmm. which requires deep dive certification. And I believe you can go down to uh, 131 feet and beyond if you're, you know, if you really get those certifications in order and you've got the, the, the wherewithal. Yeah, I think when you go and get your first deep diver certification, the, the most they want you to go down is 130 feet, 40 meters, right? 
But then I think with experience and like you hook up with other deep divers, then you start going further and further down. But that's once they make fun of you at dinner. Exactly. <laughs> but they, they, um, the, I mean, just the, the extra thought and preparation and all the extra things that can go wrong with a deep dive, it's, it's amazing. Even if there's nothing over you. Um, between you and the surface, just being down that that deep is it can be very dangerous. And forty meters, you're like, I mean, that doesn't seem like that deep. There's like the Titanic's at like twelve thousand feet or something crazy like that. That's that's significant because your body's not designed to be down forty meters, uh, that many atmospheres below sea level. No, and we'll get to uh, decompression sickness and all coming up. Well, let's talk about it here. How about that? Oh. That sounds like a great idea. <laughs> Actually, that sounds exactly as how we discussed it. Sure. <laughs> so you've probably heard of the bins. Yeah. Uh, that's sort of the common name for decompression sickness. And that is a uh, – it can be pretty rough, apparently. Uh, it can be very painful. It can be fatal. And it's caused by nitrogen bubbles. Nitrogen? Nitrogen bubbles right. in your blood in your bloodstream. That's the problem with the bins. Yeah, because the air we breathe has like 78, 72% nitrogen. 78%. 78% nitrogen, 21% oxygen, the rest is trace stuff, right? Um, and that nitrogen typically at sea level, uh, or even, you know, higher than sea level, but um, whatever. I think I just made this more complicated than I needed to. But the nitrogen typically goes through our body and we expire it, breathe it out. It does nothing. It doesn't react with anything. It's too hard to chemically deconstruct uh, and use for something else. It requires too much energy, so we just pass it through. But when we're down breathing, the nitrogen that stays in our body at any given time when we're below uh, surface, below sea mm -hmm. level, um, it, it turns into a gas and permeates our bloodstream. But as we go up, if that gas isn't absorbed um, slowly into our tissues, it will form bubbles. Just like when you open a, a pop, a soda, a Coke, whatever you want to call it, Mm -hmm. If inside there's no bubbles, but when you open it up and introduce air and change the air pressure, the atmospheric pressure inside the can, all that gas turns into bubbles, carbonation of CO2 carbonation. And that would be the same thing that happened in your tissues and joints. And that is not something that you want to happen. No. If you want a, a Topo Chico or a soda mm -hmm. or a nice frothy beer, you want that thing carbonated. You don't want your insides of your body carbonated. No, you, you definitely don't because it's agonizing. Apparently, sailors named it the bends because you'd be doubled over in agony. That does not sound great. And then on top of it just being extraordinarily painful, it can it can kill you in some some circumstances. Um, so there's they figured out that you actually um, you can stay down at a certain depth for a certain amount of time. And then if you do, you're going to have to do what are known as decompression stops on the way back up. That's right. On your way, you got to know how deep you are. You got to stop when you're supposed to. Mm -hmm. You got to hang out for a little body, give your body a chance to equalize the pressure. Mm -hmm. And then you go up a little bit more and then do it again. And obviously, this is all uh, completely regulated by your dive instructor. Uh, they're telling you what to do unless, you know, you're out there on your own and you're like super experienced. You know how to do all this stuff. Mm -hmm. uh, but they're telling you how much time you need to spend at what depth to ascend safely. Uh, just to give you, Dave dug up this kind of fun fact about the, uh, I think, the deepest scuba dive on record. Mm -hmm. 
uh, was over a thousand feet by an Egyptian diver named Ahmed Geber. And uh, 14 minutes down, I imagine you just uh, you've seen the videos of those deep divers where they just put on the gear and they have some sort of a weight and they just get dragged mm-hmm. to like the bottom of the ocean. Mm-hmm. Very quickly, it took 14 minutes to get down that deep, but it took 14 hours to safely decompress on the way back up. Yeah, just slowly. I mean, that's that's crazy. It's a long time. Um, so, yeah, the, a lot of the, the deeper dives are you spend way more time doing decompression stops than you do oh, actually yeah. doing your dive, right? Yeah. So you have to, like, calculate this stuff. There's tables. There's um, dive computers that we'll talk about. But you have to, before you go into the water, you need to know exactly how long you're going to be down there, exactly mm-hmm. what depth you're going to be at. And then you have to know, based on those two factors, how how many decompression stops you have to make in at what um, uh, depth back up, on the way back up that you need to stop at. Yeah. Two words you're never going to hear scuba diving are wing it. <laughs> That's right. You don't want to wing it. Man, no, you definitely don't. Uh, you got altitude diving. So if all this talk of um, going down, down, down and different pressures and things – uh, makes sense, then it would make sense that if you're diving in a lake super, super high uh, above sea level, that that would change things too. Uh, and it does. Uh, if you're more than a thousand feet uh, above sea level, it's going to be a different experience. So, uh, you know, they're going to know what they're doing there too, as far as, you know, how you're going to decompress and, going down when you're actually high up. Right. Which it's strange. You're like, okay, you're actually high up, but because you're underwater and all that extra water pressure, it, it has apparently you're more exposed to decompression sickness at, at oh, high altitude dives than you are uh, below sea level. Wow. Um, you remember very famously in, in the firm, two things the firm introduced the world to, red stripe beer and the awareness that you, you can't scuba dive and fly in the same 24-hour period. And uh, my cousin and my uncle, who uh, lived in Memphis at the time and were very briefly in that movie. Oh, really? Were they the person on the beach? No, my cousin was a little girl at the time, my cousin Autumn, and she was uh, like a full screenshot of her and another kid like at the big company party early on. Mm -hmm. And then my uncle Steve, who you've met, uh, that lives out near San Francisco, Mm -hmm. he he was trying to be an actor at the time. He had a speaking line. Uh, I think he... If I'm not mistaken, he came into an office and said something about, you know. These pretzels are making me thirsty. <laughs> I think that was it. <laughs> anyway, uh, I, I didn't know Red Stripe. Was that in the firm? Yeah, definitely. No one knew That's what Red funny. Stripe was until then. And all of a sudden, it was like the, the hippest beer on the planet because the 80s were wow. so shallow. Okay. So that's altitude diving and our little side trip on the firm. Uh, there's also cavern diving and cave diving, which are usually mm-hmm. put hand in hand. Yeah, we covered those. They definitely do connect, but really cavern diving is just not really going all the way into a cave. Mm-hmm. Once you are out of the light, you are now cave diving. If you're in the light, you're cavern diving. And so that means things like cenotes and springs qualify as cavern diving. There's easy access to the surface, whereas with cave diving, if you've gone and listened to that episode— it, there is no access to the surface, and you are completely out of your mind to even try it once. That's right. Uh, it's our episode from December 2019, Cave Diving, colon, totally nuts. Yep. Appropriately named. Uh, you got ice diving. Yeah. You can actually go dive in the cold, cold water under thick ice uh, and go see those animals like penguins and seals and things. Yep. 
And apparently there's um, a place called Rumu Quarry in Estonia that um, has good ice diving. But in the summer, the big draw is there's a sunken underwater prison there in the quarry. Cool. Yeah. Like you can swim around. There's bars on the on the windows and stuff like that. It's pretty neat. Oof. Sounds spooky. It, it does. So what about the gear, Chuck? If you say, okay, I like this. I want to go ice diving. I want to go mm-hmm. cave diving. I want to do it all. What do I need to get, Josh and Chuck? Well, I say we tell everybody what to get. What do you say? Well, you got to get an oxygen tank. No, no, no. You're not supposed to say oxygen tank because it's not oxygen. It's a uh, scuba tank or it's a cylinder. Mm -hmm. And like we said, it's filled not with just oxygen. It's air that you breathe. You got to breathe like you normally breathe. Right. So uh, it's going to be 21% oxygen, 78% nitrogen. And those trace gases, they want to... Uh, give you a, a experience like you're used to as far as breathing goes. Sure. Uh, unless you do something called enriched air diving, uh, that's got 32% oxygen and less nitrogen, uh, which they call nitrox 32. Mm-hmm. And this lets you stay down there a little bit longer. And you don't apparently at all have to make those decompression stops. Uh, I. Th- no, I'm sure that there's a depth and a time at depth that you would have to make decompression stops, but they're, um, they're it's much deeper and much more time before you would have to. That's my impression. Okay. All right. There's also a BCD, and a BCD, in addition to your, your tank, your cylinder, is probably the most second most important piece of equipment for scuba diving. And the reason why is because this is a little inflatable or, very importantly, deflatable vest that you wear— that if you use it properly, allows you to hover completely motionless in, in like during your dive. Mm-hmm. And if you're really good at it, you can use it to like back out of a place upward or downward. Um, th- there's just a lot of really neat things you can do using this buoyancy control device. And if you can't do it, then you might start going up to the surface. You might be stuck on the bottom. It takes a lot of practice, but when you get it right, you can really gracefully and really smoothly move through the ocean. Yeah. I mean, that's the videos you see. No one does videos of you and and snorkel fins going, I can't swim in these things. Or my daughter crying on a boat or somebody floating up, bobbing up and down with their BCD being a PIA. Yeah, exactly. You know? A PIA. Oh, I see. I got you. It all just looks like all you do is just jump in that water and you're just immediately perfectly floating and meeting Nemo. Yeah, and I think that's a really great um, point, Chuck, because it, it, it takes a lot of practice at this. Nobody goes into scuba diving and is just a natural at it because we're not naturals at scuba diving. It's something you have to learn and you have to practice at. But once you do, it's very rewarding. Yeah, I look forward to it. Uh, you got your regulator, which we talked about, mm-hmm. uh, that different people help perfect over the years, and that is going to regulate that flow of the pressurized air into your mouth, uh, you know, they differ a little bit, but generally you have the first stage part. That's the one that actually attaches to the scuba tank and is going to do that that first sort of pressure reduction uh, to make sure you're not getting blasted out. (laughs) Uh, Then you've got your demand valve or the second stage Mm -hmm. that uh, goes into the mouthpiece that you're using to breathe. Mm -hmm. And you're going to have a second mouthpiece. This is almost like a backup parachute, right? Uh, yes, it's, it's a really great way to put it. Um, if you are out on a dive with a buddy, which you always want to be out on a dive with a buddy, and your buddy's air runs out, you have a second mouthpiece 
that accesses your air that you both can use as you start going back up. You can save your buddy's life with the the um, additional hose. Pretty good. Or I'd imagine if something went wrong with your own, right? Well, I guess, but that would mean that your actual, like your mouthpiece or something broke and you could use the yeah. other one. Sure, if that happened. If something went wrong with your air, no, it'd be it's just as useless as your other one. You know what happened when I was snorkeling? What? I uh, snorkeled for a few minutes, and I went to put that thing back in my mouth, mm-hmm. and it wasn't there. Uh, it and fell I was off? Like, I was like, hey, dude, I, I'm not feeling one. I can't, Zara, do I have a mouthpiece and a snorkel? And he went, no. And then he went, I see it. It's on the bottom. Let me go get it. <laughs> <Jesus>. <laughs> I guess it just became unclipped or something. Yeah. I forgot they are, I think they do come in pieces then. Well, no, this this was the tube, the whole thing. Oh, I see. So you just had it attached to your mask and it just mm-hmm. fell away. I see. Fell away. Speaking of masks, Chuck, by the way, um, you can have a single lens mask or a dual lens mask. Did you know that? Yeah. I've also got for, uh, and I was going to take it down there, one of those full face uh, snorkel d- uh, deals, mm-hmm. uh, which I have used in swimming pools and they're quite fun, but I did not take it. Uh, but I do like the idea of sort of the old school single lens. I do too. But the great thing about a dual lens is if you wear glasses and uh, you have two different prescriptions for your eyes, you can get prescription lenses for your mask, mm-hmm. which I had one of those. It's it's really neat. It's helpful. Although you can yeah. also just wear contacts like a normal person. Do you still have those? I that mask? don't know where it is. Mm-hmm. I don't I don't have it handy, so I'm not sure where Well, your prescription might have changed anyway. You should just get a new one. It's true. I just wear contacts now. I could use any mask. <laughs> oh, that's true. Uh, what else? Well, we got those fins. Uh, you don't call them flippers because they're going to make fun of you. So you got those fins, and they are pretty standard. Uh, they're um, The ones that I saw mostly were split fins, and uh, they are just – there's no getting around it. Those things are awkward to swim in if you're not used to them. I felt uh, just like I was stepping on my – it's kind of like wearing snow skis. Mm-hmm. Uh, it just felt very awkward. Well, also, in addition to being awkward, you can really accidentally tear up coral or do all sorts of stuff if you're not, you know, adept at using your fins or you're not aware of where your body is. So it is it – is, it's not just you that had trouble with fins. Yeah, my toe uh, on my left foot kept cramping up too. Hmm. Man, it was not sounds like a terrible experience. <laughs> It was it was great once I took those things off. So um, one of the, so scuba diving is a very expensive hobby. Um, it's a, yeah. expensive up front. It's expensive during. It's expensive after. It's just an expensive hobby. And one of the things that uh, has the most expense as a one time, um, well, expense is your dive computer. Yeah, uh, it's essentially a giant watch that gives you all the data you need for your dive. Um, and I saw, I did not know this, but Apple has one coming out called the Oceanic Plus, which looks pretty awesome. It's mm-hmm. probably going to be a million dollars, but there's much more like affordable um, dive computers slash watches available. Um, and they're all going to basically tell you the same stuff, right? I hope so. <laughs> uh, I mean, they're going to tell you, you know, how deep you are, uh, how deep it gets below you. Mm-hmm. Uh, how much air you've got in that tank, how cold or hot the water is, uh, your compre- <laughs> your decompression status. It says the water is cold. Rate. Yeah, like all the – it just says chilly. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, all the stuff that you need to know about your ascension uh, when you're going back up to the top is going to be there. Mm-hmm. 
And, you know, as far as whether or not to invest as a purchase with all this stuff, it's up to you. Like, I would, I would say go out and give it a shot. And if you really, really love it, and it's the kind of thing where you're like, well, hey, I know every year we go to this island, uh, and, you know, it might be worth it to go ahead and invest in buying your own stuff. Probably not the, the tanks and all that, but the mask and the the snorkel and the fins mm-hmm. and uh, maybe a dive watch and stuff like that. Yeah, and the dive watch also, I mean, like, if you're going on a um, a dive that's, you know, led by somebody, that dive master is probably going to have the dive computer and you don't really mm-hmm. need your own because the dive master is going to tell you where to go and when. But, I mean, they're they're pretty slick. Apparently, they'll tell you to slow down if you're ascending too fast, where to stop, when to stop. It's just they, it's pretty neat. Uh, I can't imagine what they did before dive computers. It just must have been yeah. exponentially more dangerous than it is today with dive computers. I would imagine. Uh, and as far as investment goes, the same goes for your wetsuit. Uh, even if it's, you know, if you're going down and even if the water, it's a hot day and the water feels warm, it, it can... You know, the water's going to get colder, and you may want that wetsuit, and you wetsuits are awkward and weird, too. So, But they work. If you find, it, if you find a good wetsuit that fits and you know you're going to be doing it a lot, maybe buy your wetsuit. Yes. and I mean, the, Or if you don't like putting your stuff in things that other people's stuff has been in. You exactly, know? because those are very tight-fitting for a yeah. reason. You let a little <laughs> water in there, and then your body warms the water, and your the warm water keeps your body warm in return. They work really well. But there's also the dry suit uh, for water below 50 degrees. And you might say, well, then when do you need a wetsuit? Apparently, water as warm as 80 degrees Fahrenheit can um, give you hypothermia if you're in there long enough. Wow. Yeah. So even if the water feels warm when you get in, you still probably want a wetsuit while you're scuba diving. Uh, We mentioned the rebreather earlier uh, that was sort of invented early on uh, by Lambertson, but then perfected later. But uh, this is what you do if you, if you don't, well, for a few reasons. But one reason, if you don't want those bubbles coming out, right. you can get a rebreather that is exactly what it sounds like. It's going to capture that air that you're exhaling, scrub that CO2 off of mm-hmm. it, and then add back in the oxygen to make it uh, breathable air again. And, you know, the military uses these. If you're an underwater photographer, you might want to use these. Sure. And it allows you to dive longer. And, you know, if you want to stay down there for a while, rebreather might be for you. Yeah, apparently the record of um, staying down uh, using a rebreather is 145 hours Ugh. by a guy named Saddam Al-Khalini. Yeah, pretty, pretty impressive. So um, I say we take our second break and uh, come back and talk a little bit more about scuba. Today's episode is brought to you by Altoids because, let's face it, unraveling the mysteries of the universe is tough work. But with Altoids, your breath will be stronger than a black hole's gravitational pull, more intense than an alien abduction, and more reliable than your phone's battery during a podcast marathon. When it comes to needing intense freshness, Altoids have you covered. Altoids are stronger than your favorite conspiracy theory, more intense than the latest true crime docuseries, and more reliable than a Bigfoot sighting. They're not just mints, they're curiously strong mints. Find Altoids in the checkout aisle. Grab your tin today. All right, game off. Let's pause here to talk more about Monopoly Go. Because in Monopoly Go, you can team up with your friends for timed tournaments where you work together to build up each other's boards. It's very nice. 
That's right. And the more you win together, the more awesome prizes you unlock. And there's so much to get. I'm talking about unique stickers that you can trade with friends to complete albums for big prizes, cool new playing pieces to travel the boards with, or hilarious emojis for taunting friends when you smash their buildings or heist their vaults. Plus, Monopoly Go feels new and exciting every day with constantly changing tournaments and challenges, like digging for treasure or a robot pachinko machine. And there's always new timed events that help you win big, like massive multipliers for everything you win or rent frenzies. That's right. There's always something fun to discover in Monopoly Go. So get off the bench and go download it now for free on Google Play or the App Store. Game on! Hey, everybody. Did you know that Boricua is the name for someone from Puerto Rico? But it's more than just a name. It's a way of life and representation of the vibrant spirit of the island. Yeah, that's right. It's an island that's filled with adventure around every corner and natural treasures waiting to be explored, like El Yunque, the only tropical rainforest in the entire United States. That's right. Or you can get swept away by natural beauty and come away with unique stories that could only be experienced in Puerto Rico that remind you of why you travel in the first place. Visits end, but stories last forever. You don't become a part of the island, it becomes a part of you. That's right. In Puerto Rico, you can forget where you came from and embrace where you are. No passport required for U.S. citizens and permanent residents. Learn more and plan your trip at discoverpuertorico.com. Okay, Chuck, so um, if you are going to go scuba diving and you don't have a certification, you go get in the water, the scuba police will probably arrest you no matter where you are in the world. True or false? (laughs) That's false. And it kind of surprised me that uh, there are no laws, per se, Mm -hmm. uh, or not even per se, there are no laws that you have to have a license. It's just sort of one of those things where, A, it's really, 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 really smart to do that so you know what you're doing safely. And B, I would dare say almost any dive uh, outfit in the world will require that you have that. Maybe there's some super janky ones, and I don't know if I'd get on one of those boats if they're like, like, nah, you don't need a card. Who cares? No, you don't want. I wouldn't. I wouldn't go with that. So they're going to ask you for your card because there are risks. Even to fill up your tank, if you show up, they'll ask to see your your certification, your your card. Oh, so you don't just run off and. And, you know, do your own solo dive? I guess. I I guess. I I think it's just like they just want to make sure that nobody who isn't trained is scuba diving, and that's a good way to do it. Yeah. So um, if you want to get certified, there's a few ways to do it. One of the most popular ways to do it is um, is called Discover Scuba, Um, and it's a very shortened, abbreviated version of the certification process where you go to, like, a resort and you mm-hmm. take like a less than an hour of classroom time. You go into the pool, you do a test dive, and then you go, you know, down to the beach and, and get in the water and scuba around. It's probably where other people are snorkeling. It's very low risk, and mm-hmm. you're not fully certified after that. But it's enough for you to go enjoy scuba on vacation without having to go get certified first. Yeah. Uh, you're not going to be super deep. Uh, you're probably not going to be out with like a good coral reef or anything either. You never know. I guess you never. It depends on where it is. But, you know, this we were on a boat for, you know, 
12, 13 minutes, like kind of hauling out into the ocean to get to this one. Neat. Or are they right off the beach sometimes? Sometimes, yeah. Oh, okay. They can be. What, what do I know? I mean, th- that's surfers will get tangled up in coral sometimes. It's, it can be a real hazard. Well, those are deep water surfers. <laughs> so, <laughs> so that's the that's the most basic way to get certified. And again, you're not actually certified. The basic certification, the open water certification, usually takes a few days um, to complete, at least just even the first part. There's classroom time, they call it theoretical, um, where you're learning they uh, the 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 thing the guy who I took uh, lessons from said that you learn you spend the first hour learning how to scuba dive and the rest of the time learning how to stay alive while you scuba dive mm. because it's actually not that hard to scuba dive a lot of it requires practice like inflating your BCD and achi- achieving neutral buoyancy but yeah. it's 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 really just just it's not hard to understand it's hard to remember what to do when you're panicking underwater so that you don't do the wrong thing. And that's really the bulk of the classroom time. Yeah, uh, it's going to cost you, it depends, but, you know, it's generally around 500 bucks. Mm-hmm. Uh, you, um, a- again, you know, you can do it whenever you want. If you want to go down on your vacation and spend time doing this, you can do that. Sure. But you're on vacation. Like, it's probably smart to go ahead and get it done before you get down there so you can just hit the water and in every state in the country, uh, like the least water-like state in the country has scuba classes you can take. Yeah, because, again, you can be certified in like a quarry. And basically and any state has a, at least a flooded quarry, if not a lake, you could be certified in for open water. Um, you only have to be 10 years old. Uh, there's no maximum age, but this is really important. If you have a pre-existing condition, you want to talk to your doctor about whether or not you should scuba dive because, again, you're exerting yourself way more than you think you're going to. And if you, say, have a heart condition or something like that, it can actually trigger a heart attack in you. And even without the exertion, just the difference in um, atmospheric pressure on your insides can accidentally trigger a heart attack in you, too. So it's um, it's definitely not something that you want to just take lightly if you have a pre-existing condition. No, I can't imagine anything more terrifying than cardiac arrest under the ocean. It'd be that's pretty bad for sure. Yeah, or I guess in the ocean, you're not under the ocean. Under the sea. Uh, so you have to know how to swim, though. Uh, I mean, I think that's a given, but we should say mm-hmm. it. Uh, you're gonna be certified for life, which is kind of cool. Mm-hmm. Uh, you're gonna get your little card for you to misplace. <laughs> and uh, generally these days, you can you can have that stuff online on apps and things like that through uh, PADI, P-A-D-I, Professional Association of Diving Instructors. That's kind of the big daddy, mm-hmm. uh, the big patty, rather. Right. Uh, but there's also uh, NAUI, NAUI, the National Association of Underwater Instructors, and also SSI, Scuba Schools International. Mm-hmm. And they can all certify you. Uh, but like I said, Patty's sort of the biggest one, and you're going to spend a lot of time early on with this course uh, learning the stuff like you've talked about. Like most of this is done, you can do online uh, at your house, and over the course of you know five to ten hours, learn all the stuff, learn the hand signals, learn the terminology, learn the equipment, and kind of all the basics that don't involve actually getting in the water. Yes, but if you have the time and the wherewithal to go take classroom instruction for the first part, like in the classroom, you should take that uh, opportunity because you that's you will be hanging around the local scuba 
community. That's You'll be immersed in it rather than showing up the first time for your what's called your confined water dive, which is mm-hmm. essentially where you put all the stuff you learned in the classroom to use in a swimming pool in the back of the, the scuba shop. So you'll know them and they can say, go, Josh, you got this, bro. Exactly. If, if yeah. they don't know you, they'll be like, you probably have this. We can't really say either way. Yeah, I have no emotional attachment to you, though. So either fail or pass. I don't care. So the I told you uh, early on that having like just even a little bit of water over your head while you're breathing underwater is amazing. And that that's your first experience in that confined um, water dive in the swimming pool. Uh-huh. It's amazing. It's also kind of boring because they're like, what does this hand signal mean? Or uh, show me how you can um, inflate or deflate your BCD, that kind of stuff. You're just showing that you know what to do uh, mm-hmm. as a novice. And then after that, after you pass that part, you you go do your open water dives, which is the real deal. Yeah. And uh, like you said, at the very beginning, uh, you need to get four to six of those under your belt, depending on the certification program. Mm-hmm. Uh, you've only done the one, but uh, they don't all have to be in the ocean. You don't have to wait till you go to the Bahamas or whatever. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can do that at a nearby lake or that, uh, what do you keep talking about? The, Reservoir? Uh, quarry? Re- uh, the quarries. <laughs> you can do it there if, you know, if they have it set up there. And uh, basically, you're just going to practice with someone there learning how to get that uh, ear pressure equalized and, like you said, the buoyancy and just kind of getting it all down pat because what you're really looking to do when you finally go out to that coral reef is is not be hassled and feel very comfortable and at ease and know what you're doing. Yeah, and a lot of people do the classroom and the confined water dive at home and then go do their open water dives on vacation. Um, so you can start at the coral oh, okay. reef if you want, but what you're saying yeah, makes a lot of sense as well too for sure. Yeah. Um, there's a big question about all this. And, uh, from what I read, the, um, certifying, um, companies or, or agencies or whatever they're called, the bodies, um, mm-hmm. they don't like to talk about the inherent risks of scuba. Like they acknowledge it is a, a risky activity. It's riskier than staying at home knitting, but, um, it's probably even riskier than, than, is generally thought of. It's 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 a dangerous thing to do, and you should know that going into it for sure. Yeah. I mean, not to scare anyone off. Oh, I'm trying to scare people off. Danger is relative term. It's a relative term, but uh, about 100 people in North America die annually scuba diving uh, compared to uh, 46 people uh, last ski season in the U.S., uh, but there are a lot more skiers and scuba divers. So that's about 100, uh, I'm sorry, another 100 uh, internationally scuba diving. So that's a fatality every 200,000 dives uh, compared to a fatality per 1 million skiers. But a scarier way to look at it is that's that fatality rate is 3.4 to 4.2 per 100,000 divers because d- many divers go on more than one dive a year. Yeah. So, um, <laughs> I mean, that, that's that's a low number to me still. But every, like I said, everyone has their own risk tolerance. It is apparently if you go a scuba diving and you aren't alone, you're with somebody who knows what they're doing, and that person that's taking you, the dive master, is not um, a risk taker. You're probably going to be totally fine. It's yeah. it's the the foolishness is what skews those numbers. Because something like 40% 
of scuba fatalities um, came after a diver got separated from their buddy. And an additional Mm -hmm. 14% came from people who were on solo dives. Like they didn't, they purposely didn't go with anybody. They just went and scuba dived by themselves. That is a very dumb, reckless thing to do. Um, going diving so that's 54%. Yeah, 54% was these people didn't have a buddy with them. So if you have a buddy with you, scuba diving, which they say you always should have, like that just completely changes your risk exposure just based on yeah. those statistics. And they don't even have to be your buddy. <laughs> no, they're just called that. You can really dislike each other. As long as they don't want to actively harm you, you're right. probably <laughs> going to be safe with them. I mean, I would want someone to like me at least. They don't, we don't have to be best friends, but at least pretend, right? Yeah, like I want them. I want to know that they care about me. Well, okay, all right. That's a lot to ask. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> you got anything else? I do have one more thing before we right. go. I know we've gone really, really long, but oh, that's one right. of the things that is a common um, cause of death or at least injury is something you wouldn't think of if you're panicking and you like say your air runs out. You're triggered, you start swimming upward. First of all, you can get the bends, but you're probably holding your breath because you're underwater. That's what your body and your brain tells you to do. That's a terrible thing to do because as you get closer to the surface, your lungs are filled with air and the air is now expanding beyond the capacity of your lungs. So you can pop your lungs. You can also create um, bubbles that go into your arteries uh, and create embolisms. Uh, and it's it's a, just a bad jam. So there's actually a, something called the CISA, um, which is a controlled emergency swimming ascent, where you basically swim upward slowly as your panicked mind can do while you're exhaling the whole way so that when you reach the surface, you don't have a lung full of air. Whew. Pretty neat. Pretty neat. Baby's got the bends. <laughs> That's a great album name. No, think Radiohead. Yeah, Baby's got the bends. It was the it, it was the EP that followed OK Computer. No, the Benz was their full length LP. I know this was the EP okay that they were testing all the material <laughs> out on. Oh, okay, I got you. Okay, so uh, I just couldn't figure out if you knew it was an actual song. I did, but I'd forgotten okay. when I was making the joke. So, for all intents and purposes, all right. I didn't know. All right. Uh, you got anything else? Just one more Radiohead test. <laughs> Let's hear it. No, I got nothing. Okay. Else. Uh, that means then it's time for listener mail. Uh, just a couple of kombucha corrections for oh us. Boy. Uh, this is someone uh, named Frederick Overby Peterson. Overby. Overby? Mm-hmm. Mm, okay. How do you know that? Because there's a um, really great reporter uh, named Peter Overby, and I think there's also, I think his brother, Dennis Overby, maybe, and they spell it that way. B-Y-E. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, and also probably so people don't say overbite. <laughs> right. I'm sure kids say it anyway, but you know. I'm sure they do. Uh, so Frederick uh, brews kombucha for friends and family. and wanted to share a few things uh, that we got wrong, but uh, very sweetly Frederick just says are worth adding. Uh, you don't need a SCOBY to start, guys. Store-bought kombucha is actually enough. Mm-hmm. If you brew your sweet tea and let it cool down uh, and then add a little bit of store-bought kombucha drink to the tea, the kombucha you add will start eating the sugar and form a scoby seemingly from nowhere. Uh, so nice because it makes it super easy to get started mm-hmm. uh, and you don't have to seek out that scoby uh, from your neighborhood social media page. That's pretty cool. Uh, and not all kombucha is related, unfortunately. I don't like this part. As, 
Uh, as beautiful as it might have been, guys, they are not. Escobies form when making some kinds of vinegar when making homemade apple cider vinegar, for example. Escobie can form on the top. Now, I never managed to make my own Scoby from scratch, but I've seen it several places uh, and many guides on how to do it. But it's not as easy as making kombucha. Hmm. And that is Frederick Overby Peterson. Thanks a lot, Frederick. First of all, great name. Very stately. Secondly, thank you for all the information. That was great info, too. Uh, if you want to be like Frederick Overby Peterson, then you can get in touch with us like they did by email. Send us an email to stuffpodcast at iHeartRadio.com. Stuff You Should Know is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. Today's episode is brought to you by Altoids because, let's face it, unraveling the mysteries of the universe is tough work. But with Altoids, your breath will be stronger than a black hole's gravitational pull, more intense than an alien abduction, and more reliable than your phone's battery during a podcast marathon. When it comes to needing intense freshness, Altoids have you covered. Altoids are stronger than your favorite conspiracy theory, more intense than the latest true crime docuseries, and more reliable than a Bigfoot sighting. They're not just mints, they're curiously strong mints. Find Altoids in the checkout aisle. Grab your tin today. I'm Tamika D. Mallory. And it's your boy, my son, the general. And we are your hosts of TMI. And catch us every Wednesday on the Black Effect Network, breaking down social and civil rights issues, pop culture, and politics in hopes of pushing our culture forward to make the world a better place for generations to come. Listen to TMI on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. That's right. Oh, hi, I'm Rachel Zoe, and my podcast, Climbing in Heels, is back and better than ever. You might know me from the Rachel Zoe Project or perhaps from my work as a celebrity stylist. And guess what? I'm still just as obsessed with all things fashion, beauty, and business. Climbing in Heels is all about celebrating the stories of extraordinary women, and this season is here to bring you a weekly dose of glamour, inspiration, and fun. Listen to Climbing in Heels every Friday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.